Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and on this week's episode I'm going to be chatting with George Bakua to find out more about his logo design process using grids, social media and so much more. But before we get into the interview, I want to give a shout out to FreshBooks, who has sponsored this season of the podcast. Now, FreshBooks is best known for invoicing, but it's also packed with other features to keep you organized and streamlined as a freelancer or small business owner, including late payment reminders, managing your profits, expenses, tracking time, and so much more. It's certainly worth trying out for yourself And you can do that with a free 30-day trial, which you can claim just by heading over to freshbooks.com forward slash Logo Geek and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now, if you spend any time on Instagram, you will be well aware it's flooded with logo designs from a sea of designers around the globe. But there are only a handful of truly incredible designers who are consistently putting out truly great work and one of those people is George Bakua. Now I've been following George's work for a number of years after discovering his course on Skillshare and I'm always inspired by his work and I would actually go as far as saying that I believe he's one of the greatest logo designers in the world today. So I was honoured when he kindly agreed to be interviewed for the podcast so that we can all learn from him. In this interview, we discuss so many areas of his life, including his logo design process, idea generation, using grids, using social media as a designer, and so much more. This is a really interesting discussion, and I know a lot of you guys will also be fans of George too, so I I hope that you enjoy this. So let's get straight into this. Here is the interview with George Bakua. Could you talk through your journey to becoming a a logo designer? Yes, I definitely can. Uh, Basically, I... I was uh, dirt broke in 2006 and I was uh, uh, playing poker online and I was not doing too good and, uh, you know, I ended up having no money so I had to find a job. I lived in Ukraine, Kiev, Ukraine back then. So I started searching for work, for work opportunities and uh, this one guy in Kiev, uh, he asked me to come to his uh, studio and... uh, his name was Jan Tishenko. He was the art director of this company. And uh, when I entered, we, I introduced myself. We talked a little bit. And uh, he sort of had this uh, sympathy towards me since I was from country Georgia. He was Ukrainian. So we had some sort of a common themes that we shared uh, politically as well as, uh, you know, as well as culturally, so he said, "Like, all right, I'll I'll let you try. I'll teach you some things." And uh, he accepted me in his studio, and uh, that's where I started learning logo design. It was in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. So, was there any like important books or or mentors that was uh, key to your development early on? Uh, yeah, well, not. Not really. I mean, I, I always loved uh, Mueller Brocklin's works. And the first book I actually, first book I bought on Amazon was uh, The Raster Systems, The Grid Systems by Mueller Brockman. And that was sort of an eye opener that gave me just some insight into how designer's mind works. And pretty much I just, uh, that's the pretty much only book where I actually got some knowledge out of that I then utilized in, in my work. Now, I know that all of your logo designs are always fantastic. They're, they're not only great ideas, but they're beautifully executed as well. Could you talk through your logo design process from start to finish? Well, uh, basically, when I get a brief, I, I read it, of course, uh, and uh, I start pretty much, I just sit down, relax, just get into the zone sort of thing and uh, just start sketching and I just keep keep sketching for several days. There are some moments where I get a brief, I read it and I let it settle for several days. I don't do anything, just, just let this ideas boiling in my head sort of. And usually they just start popping up sometimes after 
few days, sometimes could be a week, but I always ask for 10 day period before my initial presentation. And usually somewhere, it could be first day, it could be seventh day, these ideas just start coming and uh, then I start, you know, sort of doing rough sketches and uh, after the whole sketching thing, uh, I have probably more than 100 of notebooks of sketches and I never take sketch, I never get too particular with my sketches. I usually do very rough, very pretty much ugly sketches, but in each of them I learned how to see what's what could be good and what what could be what could turn into a nice nice let's say nice aesthetical element. So um, after I'm settled with that, then I start you know just take a photo of it or scan it or uh, somehow import it in the Illustrator and I start executing. I noticed on your Instagram that you use tracing paper uh, quite a lot in your process. Can you talk through like the the, the tools that you're using as well? Because um, I don't personally use uh, tracing paper in the way that you do. So would that would you be okay to talk about that as well? Yeah, yeah definitely. Like uh, my the whole idea of tracing paper is that like if you look at the cloud and you see some sort of a platonic image let's say it's a deer uh you can't i mean you it doesn't mean that you'll be able to uh, get that deer out of that cloud and put it on a paper you so this tracing paper sort of is something that i put over a cloud which is a very rough sketch and there i see that you know more defined form in that roughness and the tracing paper is just the best best tool for that nothing can nothing can substitute it so in that very rough form i can just find that you know that that thin lines that you know bring the form out much stronger and better so it's it's a in, uh, in my process it's absolute necessity and i advise everybody to just learn how to use it correctly so uh, it makes everything much easier mm-hmm. is there any tips that you can give to learn to use tracing paper in the way that you are? I'm looking at it as a sculpting process. It's not like some painters, when you look at the object, let's say it's a it's an apple, you know what to copy and you, you feel the form. You already have a form that you need to copy. But here you have some very rough ideas, so you have to sort of sculpt it out out of this rough, uh, rough uh, pencil, you know, a dust, let's say. So you have to just bring somehow bring it out, and this this paper gives you a better chance, better um, let's say more flexible. It's a more flexible way to get that form somehow bring it out. So when I do first, for example, if I'll if I'll um, trace something, then I fold the paper on top of uh, fold the tracing paper on top of that image, and I trace it over that. Then I fold it again and I trace it over that. So I keep, I might have like a six, seven stacks of tracing papers, just tracing that one initial image and just trying to bring form out more and more. But the, the difficult part is to understand when form is already developed. That's the, that's what I think that most people have a hard time with. They, they just, they, they might miss things out. They might not see a potential in that line you know what I mean? It's kind of hard, hard to say, but I, I believe some designers, especially the newer ones, they don't know how to catch the right, right form, and uh, it's it's just a it's just because of a lack of a practice. So more concentration, and sooner or later you get this better feeling. And I'm saying this because I know I don't have I don't have a paint I don't have any. I have some art background, but I've never, I was never a good painter or never, a, you know, I had a lot, people were much more talented than me in, in, in copying, let's say, forms. But uh, here you just have so much time. You have, when you're painting something, let's say in Apple, you, you have certain time, you can't like erase things so much you know what i mean you can't keep erasing the form you know changing it because the paper gets dirty you know it it, it, it messes up with aesthetics etc but here you have so much time you have three five days of just finding that the right solutions in each part so 
I mean, everybody can do it unless they stick to it and just keep keep on doing it until they get it right. So with the layering up of um, tracing paper, are you focusing on like refining one idea or are you doing it so to do like variations of it? Yeah, well, I'd say tracing paper usually is for refining it. I'd say variations and accidents usually that's during the sketching process. But accident, I have to I have to highlight it that accident is a key key component of the whole process. Accidents happen, and those are the those are the magic ones. Because when you when you do a lot of work, you try a lot of things. There might be something just really random line you do in in Illustrator that goes out of its way somehow and you start seeing that voila that they just 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 magically there's something appeared there and this is uh, that's why that's why I think it's a little bit of an abstract process rather than just concrete just get an idea make a form and you're done it's very abstract very sculpture like process rather than painting I know you've always got really fantastic ideas do you have any tips for the idea generation or is everything just coming out of your head? Is there, is there something that you're doing um, to kind of extract all of those ideas that you're coming up with? Well, it's very, the logos are meant to make impact right away. So r- r- good logos always make impact and they make strong impact. Maybe, you know, something you see 10 years back and you don't remember, it's still there. And they come back out when you start working. So you have, it's a good thing if you start recognizing and having that memory to make sure that you don't, uh, you don't copy some other people's works. But now we're so saturated with logos all around us. This language is in our heads, I believe it's there. But it's the best thing, the, the hardest thing is to make a new combination out of all this language you have. And majority of people, they, for example, they see some solution of a dog done by another designer and they add their own interpretations of the body or some other parts and they, they call it their own. Usually that's not how it works. I, I think uh, it's, uh, uh, let's say if you come up with some sort of a solution, like let's say per se, let's say negative space animals I did, like I found out how to fold the head into the body and this is at that moment was not that ubiquitous, but it was quite original. I have seen some other people done it, but I've seen a couple logos in that that sort of style. But when I figured that out, I started branching it out and start making more works on it, so utilizing it, because good designer can only come up with like maybe five, 10 different, you know, different uh, techniques that he's strong at. And the key is to find that technique and just branch it out and dig deeper and uh, you know what I mean just 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 conquer it so that you know so that it's you need to own it and uh, that's the uh, yeah can we also talk about how you're um, presenting your work like are you just providing once one solution or do you present um, multiple options well I always with the from the commercial point, I always ask. I always uh, ask uh, money for three initial concepts, which usually is enough. But at the end, I'm I'm not too strict with that. I just want the official part that okay, three initial concepts usually is enough. But I end up doing maybe eight, ten. There have been cases of fifteen to twenty concepts before it's finalized. So. I stick to it. I keep keep working on it. I mean, we there have been some cases where you hit the gridlock. You feel like there's you know there's no ways out. But uh, most of the time, more you work, better you understand what your client wants, and at some point it gets finalized. But three is the number that I initially present. And um, with the presentation, do you ever find that you get any specific feedback from the client that you might not ag- agree with? And in those cases, how are you handling with that? I used to be very defensive. At the beginning, I was not as good, but I believed I was, I was a genius. I believed I was the greatest of all time. So my attitude was, my attitude was wrong. 
because now when I look at those works, they were just most of them were piece of craps, uh, and uh, it was. But but my my belief and my ego was so high, I would always like be aggressively defending them. But eventually, now I all I listen all the time. I mean, I ne- I always take a feedback very well nowadays. I, I'm fine with it. I, I understand that you know it's still work done. It's still gets out there and people still get inspired by it so i don't sweat over if client doesn't doesn't like it that much that means that i'm gonna do more and more is gonna be more out and more inspiration etc so it's it's a it's always a you know it's, it's a win-win in those events when the client doesn't particularly like something um how are you handling it where you never find a solution. Like, have you ever needed to fire a client because of something like that? It has happened. Yes, we have hit the hit the spot where we can't go on and cannot tell them that. All right. Well, client usually, if you try your best and if you try your hardest, client also understands that. All right. Well, he did his best and he doesn't have it in him. <laughs> Let's move on to another person. So that's that happens also, but not not so often lately. So. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm happy where I am at this point in, in regards to client relations. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a good place yeah. with your work and people trust yeah, you. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's that, that. I'd say that's a that's a big plus that you know people usually do trust what I do and they do listen to what I suggest. So yeah. Now I understand that using grids is an important part of your process. Um, and I'm aware that you've got a Skillshare course on, on this that it'd be worth everyone uh, checking out who hasn't done that. But for the purpose of this interview, could you talk through the best way to apply a grid to your work? Like at what stage would you do that and how would you go about doing that? As soon as I import the sketch, I just start seeing where can I use the perfect geometrical shapes, like circle, like square either you know like a triangle i see it in a work and i just put right away i put it over them to get it on the way to know that uh, that area is taken care of that, that's the easiest part so afterwards there's some details where they need less perfect shapes they need some you know adaptations so i usually try to do it with the hand would do some interpretations do some like uh, maneuvering let's say and um after I'm done with that, then I start to simplify those small forms too. It's kind of hard to explain with words, but uh, usually the grid gives me gridding in sense of the uh, layout design has a different purpose. You need that grid to put some elements in the spot so you get more uh, consistent uh, layout. But here you use those shapes as a part of a logo. You use it as a cleaner elements for the for the logo so it's geometrically better looking and better rounded let's say so the, yeah some people think the gridding is like you do the grids and then you pour in the information inside the grid which which uh, I, I rarely do that i just use it as a part of a logo as a more perfect part of a logo that's what that's what gridding in terms of logo design is in my I think it's good advice because I think a lot of people do make the mistake of, say, um, taking the golden ratio and trying to force their idea into that. But I I like your um, advice, how you are basically sketching the idea however you want to with with no limitations. And then you're applying, you know, circles, shapes, lines and so on just to make the, the perfect form. So I think that's really good advice. Um, on that note, can can I ask your thoughts on the the golden ratio? Because it's one of those things that is very much debated online. Like any time it's mentioned, um, you got two extremes: either the people that will never touch it, but then you know you can look at um, some pretty prominent logos, and they are using the the ratios. And I know that in your Skillshare course, you're also using the um, golden ratio. So I'd, I'd love your take on that as well. I mean, there is a, with the golden ratio, initially there was some mystique about it that, that drawed me into it because 
you felt that there is this some some sort of a universal form that recurs in a lot of uh, actually the first movie that got got me thinking about it was Aronofsky's pie where where he goes around and sees this uh, environment around him and there's this number everywhere and the The spiral is just really most lively shape in every natural phenomenon so this sort of got me inspired and uh, this uh, so I was drawn to it but in actuality the ratio I, I'm not too fond of it as I mean I like for example if it's an a4 paper is like in my in my experience one of the best ratios uh, uh, to, to the you know XY ratios there is or let's say a pack of cigarettes or a credit card and I like that ratio more because with a in logo design also it's more flexible it's less longer so you can get better uh, let's say you have a better battlefield in that ratio so golden I'm not too fond of the golden uh, golden ratio but the idea of the spiral and the using it whenever I can and just to just to pay homage and just to respect the idea and keep it alive so this is sort of a sort of a you know personal personal thing between you know me and older ratio let's say I think it's one of those things like um, I've I've tried using the the golden ratio on some work recently and I find that the moment you start to apply any you kind of shapes and forms and you start to think about like the overall weight of things and you know the balance you know you really start to focus on that I find just doing that helps to like make your work more perfect so I, I find it really interesting that you know from your perspective you're not really using it because it has any big impact it's more for um, personal reasons so that's thanks for being honest with that yeah I, mean, I love the idea and I love the you know but the It's not necessary and I hate you said you said it right some people force it and when you force it you can't like you have to you can't sacrifice the good design for the sake of some idea just to make just to get that idea going so occasionally I always break the golden rule if, uh, if I believe that if I subjectively believe that you know, other ratio will work better let's say yeah i like that you're basically um using it if you feel it makes the work better but if it looks worse you're going to use your own intelligence to um dictate how it's going to look so I, i think that's really good advice and i'm, I'm glad that you that, that you've said that yeah exactly very well put I just want to take a short break to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks who has sponsored this season of the podcast. If you're a freelancer or business owner, you may have done your tax returns before and you'll probably be well aware that it can be a real nightmare if you're not organized. When I started my business, I was doing everything in Excel spreadsheets. But I always felt like this was quite unprofessional and I also felt a little bit unorganized too. That's when I discovered FreshBooks, which changed everything. It's a cloud accounting software that helped me to be better organized and keep track of my profits and expenses. You can easily generate reports for your accountant in seconds, and you can even import expenses from a bank account too. So it just makes managing your money so much easier. If you want to go and check FreshBooks out, which I highly recommend, they are offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial, which you can claim just by heading over to freshbooks.com forward slash LogoGeek and enter LogoGeek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to that interview. Now, I, I know that you frequently post your work to a number of platforms, like you're always posting on Instagram, you're on Behance, you're on um, Dribbble, and I know that's, that's a lot of different uh, platforms. All of these have incredible engagement with your work, and I understand that because, I, like I said, it, it's probably some of the best work out there. Can I ask you which platform has been the most successful for you um, in terms of actually finding clients? Dribble is by far most uh, most active in terms of clients and uh, then is big hands and the last is the Instagram is usually very massive mm-hmm. why do you think that is well I think that 
uh, Instagram is, I mean, this is, uh, I'm just saying what I think, but the, I think Instagram has more general population involved. So usually clients who look for, for the logo designers, they don't, they have harder time finding it via Instagram. So you get more general population there. And on Dribbble, they're more concentrated. People who come to find, find the freelancers. And same with the Behance, so that's that's where I think. On the Instagram, usually I find the, there are some clients who first time see the good logo designs, let's say, and they're like, all right, well, I want a logo now too. So they usually contact me. They say, like, okay, man, you have a good stuff I want on my hat or I want for my boating club or etc. So usually they're very spontaneously just finding it that they might need a logo, but on, on the dribble, they actually there's more dedicated, you know, more, more well-rounded client. But I have to add that the good, the great clients, the big ones, always come from. Uh, in my case, they always came from Behance. Uh, uh, yep, not not from dribble. So I'm I'm curious. Like I I personally don't really post on dribble or Behance, and that that's mainly because I'm I'm part time and I, I get a lot of my uh, well, I get all of my work through um, my website, through um, Google search results. Now, sites like Dribbble, I know it's kind of an invite-only platform. Is it actually like companies that are coming to you? Because I've I've always assumed a site like Dribbble, it was primarily like agencies that might be hunting um, for people. Is it actually, actually like business owners that are actually going through the um, portfolios on, on Dribbble? Well, what, I've asked a couple guys how they, they found me. I'm not sure what the whole mechanics are, really, but uh, a lot of them find me via Pinterest, repinned re uh, shots, and then they click it, they find themselves on a dribble, then they sign up, and that's how they contact me. So I think Pinterest is really good. Let's say, let's say it's a starting point because it's very commonplace uh, website for people to for graphic materials uh, and uh, but the, a lot of them they're just the regular clients who just sign up on the dribble and uh, you know contact me they're usually they're not comp their startups are usually just one man you know people sort of thing so yeah mm, it's really interesting I, I need to start using it more <laughs> you mean the Pinterest yeah, well, um, Dribble. I, I was going to ask oh, you Dribble, with, yeah. with Pinterest. With with Pinterest, are, are you actually posting your work directly on Pinterest as well, or is it like other people reposting your content that, that's gone on to Dribble? Yeah, that's mostly other people doing it. I occasionally I do it, but I have a very low following on Pinterest because I never took care of it enough. But uh, I have a lot of exposure on Pinterest by getting things repinned by other users. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's, I'd say the most likes I've ever got for one project, I think on Pinterest, it had like 130,000 likes or something. It was just, it was a huge number. And uh, it just happened just without me even noticing. It just one day, I've just, you know, looked at it and it's like, hey, here I go. There's a lot of people who know me on Pinterest now. So, yep, it's a good good platform, good starting platform, I believe. Whilst we're on the topic of Behance and Dribble, are there any particular tips that you can maybe give the uh, listeners for, like, optimizing their work in some way um, in order to get the um, clients as, as you are? I'd say uh, they need to find their, uh, I see a lot of new designers just being all around, like searching, like, you know, grabbing some style from one guy, taking some style from another guy, and they just keep, they do it for years. They just grab, grab, grab from others, but they don't get their own, their own things going. And uh, it is hard, it's really hard, but it's possible. I, I know there's a limitless uh, possibilities in forms, and uh, I think if they need each one of them, I'd say need to find their own voice because everybody who goes above others and who, who have 
better following and are more originals, there's only like handful of these people, like let's say 20, 30 who are actually original and always working. So that's the space when you get where you're actually getting well paid and you're comfortable and you get bigger exposure. Everything under that is pretty much, you know, you're just a, you're just a person who, I know how to put it well, but you need to find your own language. That's, you need to be original to get it, get it up there, let's say. Because I, I know a lot of people who, you know, they're... Uh, their work is great. Their work is very solid. They do their skills are really good, but uh, they're they're still stuck. They don't get paid as well. They're you know, and eventually they just dim out. Like they, they go like you can do this for years and not be well paid because usually they just you know uh, we're on on the way we've lost actually a lot of good original designers somehow got lost their batteries let's say and that they're losing their uh losing their drive and i'm not saying like about when i was young younger i'm 40 now when i was in my you know 30s i could uh, i could come up with new directions much more often let's say once a year i would find some new ways but now i'm sort of stuck with my style and i'm trying to find you know find the solutions within this style and uh you know anything outside of it my public doesn't like so it feels like you know uh, to get get up there means also you, you have to lock down your 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 language so uh that could be also sort of a hindering for the development that um, as i said earlier i still believe i'm still finding new things in the forums and i still believe there's there's a lot a lot more to discover and uh, i encourage everybody to to take the trip and uh, dive into this this wonderful world of creativity now in terms of actually like posting content I, I know that you're putting stuff out there all the time and i can see that you are like creating your own content like you said how are you kind of managing your day in order to actually create that content like are you creating instagram specific work or or are you just literally working away on a project and, and just taking some kind of snapshot of what you're working on at that at that specific moment. If, if I'm not working on a project and or if I have a day off for a couple of days and do things for fun, very rarely I post I do that specifically for the Instagram. Most of the times it's a part of the process I'm working working on at the moment. And my day is very. Uh, I work a lot. I'm gonna. Uh, I wake up at uh, let's say. Maybe nine, ten o'clock. I work out in the mornings, get to the work at twelve, and I leave the office at twelve. So I have twelve-hour working day every day, including Saturdays and Sundays. So usually I just yeah. And there were years that I did this regimen for years, maybe like six, seven years. I did this nonstop, and uh, you know I blame all this on the sort of, let's say perseverance more than the talent. Because I did not, I never felt like I was talented before. So I always had this, as I always had this certain type of, uh, let's say, fear, let's say, fear before presentation or a, a fright before presentation. I don't know how you want to name it, but I always had this, like, okay, I have to present this. I cannot fail, and I forced myself out of that let's say, uh, weakness forced myself to just dedicate completely to the project and get more out of it than, you know, than, let's say, other designers would. So th this was probably my weakness turned into my one of my talents. Mm. It certainly sounds like you've worked very hard. And I, I, I think with um, anything, people that are successful, it's more about, you know, working hard as, as you have done rather than um, specifically having talent because, it seems like you become talented because you put in the work to keep practicing and improving your skills. So I think that's really amazing. Hundred percent. I'll say one thing about talents that we've had some younger talents. That, that that's the another thing that they were very talented. They got to the point very quick. Had a good sense of shape, good sense of composition, very good feel for colors, but. Uh, uh, 
they never they never worked when the when the going got harder when inspiration was lowering down since after some age i believe you know you just you just lose the passion on the way that uh, working uh, etiquette or working attitude that you've developed for years that stays that, that that's part of a character while the talent is sort of when it dims out you feel weak and you just you know relax and let let things slide by you don't you don't uh, you don't get that it doesn't become part of your character so you can't carry your talent for too long uh, if I if I if I may say this, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, th- I've had a couple of fellows uh, who who just eventually their their uh, you know their passion died out, and uh, now they're just doing completely different things. So uh, it's quite a pity. Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree with your um, thinking. Like all the people that I know that are doing well you know actually making money as a graphic designer they're the people that just sit down and get on with it um so i think what you said is is absolutely true is it's i mean that there is obviously some talent to it because you need to be able to have those skills to it but in terms of actually continuously working um as you are it's just down to perseverance and attitude and stuff like that so yeah it's, it's good advice now, I, I know you, you mentioned um, earlier on that uh, you kind of go to your office. Are you working on your own or, or do you have a, a small team of some kind? Well, I usually, I used to have a team, permanent team for years, but uh, now I just, this is the same people who I worked with. There, there's a, a couple of them do logos, some, some of them 3D design, etc. So uh, I just hired them for occasionally. Uh, they're happy to work with me. Uh, it depends on the project, so I hire them according to the project. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in those instances where you are working with um, other people, how are you? Are you kind of publishing that as as your work under your name, or or do you have um, a, a company as well that that's going out under? No, I, I never. Any work that is done, or any help I get from anybody. Uh, on any piece of publish, I mentioned their names. I have very, I'm very strict with this, and uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, I give them everybody a fair share of due, but most of times, uh, let's say some person I hire, they're working, they're doing sketches. If I go there, I put my hands on it. If I change things there, if, I, if the major solutions in the work are uh, we both feel are mine, then I ask them to write, the, uh, write me as an art director if they post it. So uh, usually it's very fair and square. We, we don't, I mean, no, we, we, we never had problems with that with anybody or each other. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. It's, it feels very um, ethical and um, also your able to support other people that are you know doing hard work so I, th- I think the way you work is is really good you mentioned earlier in the conversation about young designers or you know um designers at, at different stages don't know how much to charge or just don't get enough money do you have any advice for the sales side of things well the, the one thing was being getting charged more uh is that when you ask for more expectations are more let's say if you if you tell them like ten thousand dollars for a logo you you know you have to engage and get this thing finished done and do it good get client client will client notices when you select client always notices when work is you know work is not complete i mean they might not have a right reasoning to explain why they don't like it but I mean, they know they don't like it. And sometimes they come up with some stupid reasons why they don't like it. The designer hears it and they're like, all right, this, this client is stupid. But the fact is that good work always wins. That's the, it's never the case. When you do a good work, client feels it, everybody feels it. You feel it, client feels it, the public feels it. So that when it's appropriate, when it's right for the brand, uh, they, don't, they don't complain when you do it right, let's say. But if, if there's something lacking, if there's a, you know, design is bad, uh, I'm repeating myself, but it's important that client doesn't know right, doesn't have right wording to 
that maybe doesn't have enough design intellect, let's say, or, uh, you know, uh, let's say, they don't have the right ways to explain it, but uh, but uh, most of the times they're, they're right. So your advice on, on um, in terms of getting more money, is it... Um simply that you just consistently do good work and and that's how you um get clients to, to come to you no i mean i get a lot of inquiries inquiries uh, so usually what i do i have a certain type of set price i tell the clients the set type of set price and when i'm working on the project and cl- more there's more inquiries i i tell them okay i'm gonna double my regular price now for the newer clients if they go i'm still fine with the job i'm doing now i'm still getting paid for this month let's say but if they come then you know i have to hire another person to help me etc so i've raised the sum it's like a fishing sometimes they just come with more money sometimes with the less but i have this one set amount that i don't go lower so uh so i know that you know that my time is reimbursed every time so in in terms of like how you're pricing, do you just have like kind of one fixed price for everyone and, and you increase that when you're busy or are you pricing specifically based on the, the type of company that they are? And I, I used to think that it would be fair to have one set pricing, but uh, I, now I don't. I usually see a client, if it's a big client, if it's a rebranding, it's definitely going to be higher price because companies already established they they're financially well uh, doing well they want to rebrand it they didn't pay much money to begin with now they want to improve it so i ask them for more money and rebranding process is usually harder than developing of a new new logo in my case most of times because most of times clients are used to their logo and when they see change they don't react too well so it's it's a harder process so ask more money for the rebranding if i see a client is big client established brand uh, of course i'm going to tell them more money if it's a startup it depends what type of startup there is like let's say from the closing industry startups they never have money so it's 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 uh, it doesn't make sense uh, to tell them uh, tell them you know than let's say I don't know several thousand, but uh, for uh, tech uh, companies, for uh, you know uh, software companies, etc., they have more money, and uh, sometimes they charge them more than others. But as I said again, I don't. I have one set price that I don't go lower than that. And usually, sometimes I say higher than that. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, it sounds like you do it similar to how I do it, where you kind of got your usual price, and then if you feel that you know the the client should be paying more you're increasing that am i understanding that right <laughs> well uh, it might sound wrong but uh <laughs> yes that's that i don't know this is the world you know we live in we have to monetize on this it, it's gotta be it's funny to tell let's say you know uh, nfl the same price for logo development than to say you know same to the, another startup no, it seems to be the way that um, a lot of people are pricing when it comes to logo design. Like I spoke to a lot of people in the past. When it's someone like, if it is a company like NFL, for example, there's more risk involved and there's um, more people involved and, you know, the the exposure of it. So you want to put more time into it. And, and even if you're not, it it that logo has more value to them as well than it does you know like a startup fashion brand for example so the way that i always see it is that it just makes sense to do that i'll tell you that nfl story so i was on the shipping ship cruise uh, on my vacation it was i had this 14 day uh, cruise from uh, europe to uh, india and uh, nfl contacted me they wanted to do a rebranding of jets logo the it's it's a new york jets and i think originally uh pentagram designed it and uh uh so i'm like oh. but but it was my cruise I, I was already in my hangover mode i'm like all right well this is probably one of my biggest projects i ever got so i have to take it and there was a creative director of uh you know of uh what's it called? The, yes, well, it was one of the big, big creative directors of the company. And he's like, 
and I told him at that moment, I'm like, all right, I can't scare him away. I can't tell him like $50,000. I'm going to be reasonable and let's say, what, $10,000 sounded reasonable because, again, as you said, exposure, you know, etc. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll do it for $10,000. And uh, in really, really big hopes that this was like, you know, the, the good money. And this guy comes back to me. He's like, oh, we only have five. I'm like, damn, man, really? five 5,000 NFL team? He's <laughs> like, yes. And we need it in like, you know, six or seven days. I'm like, oh. Right, man. I guess my crew cruise is not gonna go well, etc. So I, I just, uh, I, I, well, that's where I got the sort of type of resentment that you work all your life to get to this moment where this big client discovers you and you wanna, you know, you wanna you know, make your fortune on it, but you don't go for it. You tell him like a, your lowest price, and he even starts you know, bargaining with you. And I'm like, uh, so, so actually, I failed that project miserably just because it just didn't feel right working for that money uh even though it could have been my big breakthrough let's say but whatever you know so it was uh it was fun experience that's why i don't like big breads also you was on holiday as well um yeah like, i, I think it's important to, to yeah. have that downtime you it exactly. <laughs> i don't know if you was with anyone at that time but i'm sure yeah. it would have ruined the holiday for everybody if you actually took that on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's that's true so i've got one last question for you if you could offer one piece of advice to uh designers who are just starting out and want to do the same as you, you know, working primarily on logo design, what would that piece of advice be? Easy. I, again, talent is overrated, especially in this field. I know if you don't have a painting talent, it's much harder to, to you know, to get that form or get it right or your hand-eye coordination is weird whatever it's much harder to uh, if you don't have a musical talent or if you don't have a you know voice uh, singing voice you can't sing that's that's uh, you know uh, it's much harder to sing better uh, if, if you have a talent let's say but in our field it's all about working and getting the form right and engaging and putting more and more and more and more time into one piece until you get it right that's the, it's all about how much time and how much love you have towards the field and how much you want to get to you know get to the success and the higher levels so uh, one thing i can tell them is just sit, everybody should sit their butts down and they just keep on working until they get it right and i know by fact that on, in my studio i had a, i would not say this if i didn't have this uh, this uh, in my studio i had a project manager who was who had no absolutely no education in global design or any art or any cultural related fields she was uh, just doing some uh, financial reporting and just doing some project management and uh, at some point uh, as, a, as a form of experiment i asked her to design something and she did she did you know some design it was pretty bad but then i gave her some feedback did some art direction and uh, she improved it and i I'm, i was surprised in a time of up to two or three months the things that she did was pretty much as uh, as good as any any designer in three months with no education she didn't even know a software she learned in three months she improved her skill from zero to you know to 50 and 100 scales so she was actually really good at it but what she lacked was that creative urge that that innate that uh, that spark that uh, you know drives you to create you have to want to create that that could be that could be something that uh, you know that could be that uh, that missing link in most people that you want you have to want to create when you wake up you have to want to do something and to make something and to fix or improve something so that's the drive that is uh, that's the deal deal maker and uh, I believe it could be worked out and uh, if a person is healthy, if it's if it's fit and uh, on a, let's say, psychologically stable, they, you can get this worked out and uh, everybody could achieve levels of good designers. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think you're totally right because sometimes um, I'm quite active in the online communities and sometimes you see work that is a good idea but it needs further development and I, I like your advice that you're basically saying to focus on that and, and to get it the, the best it, it could possibly be. So I, th I think that's really strong advice and it kind of supports everything else that we've said in this um, interview. So anyway, George, um, I've got to say thank you so much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. I know that a lot of people are really excited about hearing this interview with you. So um, yeah, i just got to say thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much information. Thank you. And I, I appreciate your uh, this call and uh, hopefully people will get uh, a nice feedback of this interview and uh, get inspired. Sure. Thank you very much. Such a superb interview. Thank you, George. Now, if you like to follow George and check out his work or his courses, I've added a list of everything in the show notes for this episode, which you can find over at logageek.uk forward slash 3.5. In the show notes, as well as links to all of his work, you'll also find a full transcription of the interview so that if you can't listen, you can read instead. Since publishing the show notes with transcriptions, I've had a few people ask me how I've had the time to write these. And the answer is that I actually don't. Instead, I use a transcription service from a company called Rev, who have been absolutely incredible. It's only $1 per minute of audio, and they do it so incredibly well. So if you ever need such a service, I recommend you check them out. And if you want a 10% discount, just head over to Logo geek.uk forward slash rev where you'll be able to find more details anyway if you've enjoyed this interview and you want to discuss it with me and other designers from around the world i recommend checking out the logo geek community on facebook which you can find just by visiting logogeek.uk forward slash community now, if, if you want to meet up in person and you're around in London or Manchester over the next couple of months, we're actually going to be meeting up for a, a few drinks. So if you're in the group and you want to meet myself and a few other members, check out the events in the group for the full details. It's always fun meeting up with like-minded uh, designers in person. So I hope to see you at one of those meets. Anyway, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.